This is Michael Easley in Context. For more information, go to michaelincontext.com. And now your host, Dr. Michael Easley. Well, recently, David Gibbs III was in Nashville, and I snagged David to come over to the church office where I work, and we set up a modular studio there, and we captured a great program that I'm excited for you to hear today. David is the president of NCLL, the National Center for Life and Liberty, and in his role, he defends and helps churches all around the country in different legal matters best known for his work with the Terry Schiavo case. And if you're unfamiliar with that, you'll hear about that case on today's broadcast. David, how long have we known each other? Was it 2005? That sounds about yeah, right. Yeah. And so we, we have known each other for going on 10 years. Yeah, going on 10 years, yeah. And uh, we, we met over some, I guess they were technically legal issues at the time. <laughs> I think you and your dad came to see me at, in, in Chicago over some matters we were anticipating. And we just struck up a great friendship and appreciate you so much. And Well, and we, we enjoyed uh, helping in the legal matters. Yeah. And then I, I, I've enjoyed some personal the time friendship. with you and Absolutely. your family as well. Absolutely. David, you and Karen have been married over 20 years. You have four children. You're now living in the Dallas area. How, how have you adjusted to Dallas? You know, we're doing quite well. We're actually just north. Uh, we were in Florida for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, Texas, uh, one of the deals that I worked with the kids is that we would get enough dirt. So we're actually kind of north of Dallas, up towards Denton a little bit. When we're, I was a kid, that was frontier. Oh, it, it was yeah. it was nothing. Didn't exist. But they, they, they got some animals in the backyard. Okay. So between the, the horse, the goat, and the cow, they're happy. Literally. Yeah, they're, they're, they're having a good time with all that. And, and Dad's role in all that is to just finance the feeding operation. There you and, go. You know, and, and the, the kids were real happy one day. They, they had uh, sold a goat for like $50. And they're like, Dad, we made $50. And I reminded them that it's not 100% profit. There is a little expense that's gone into Matter getting fact, to that point. $265 raising that goat for you to sell it for $50. Yeah, but they, they were quite proud no, of that fact. Funny. So I didn't discourage them from their business venture that they weren't probably calculating it correctly. David is the president and general counsel of the National Center for Life and Liberty. He also hosts a weekly program called Law Talk Live on the Moody Radio Network and has authored five books, including Fighting for Dear Life and Understanding the Constitution. David, you went to Duke Law School. What, what was that like? You know, that was a, um, I, I split my, I went to two Christian colleges, uh, two years, and then I transferred. I actually had a surgery and I was a little behind and um, actually, uh, Dr. Falwell was offering you to go to Oxford. So I got to go to Oxford, England, get caught back up, uh, did a semester over there and then came back and graduated and, um, felt led to go to law school, wanted to help serve churches. And, and my dad was an attorney in the area. And so I put applications all out. Well, Duke was gracious. They, they accepted me, but it, at the time it was very expensive. It was over $20,000 a year. Now for today's audience, let's, let's put Community it in, Community college. Let, yeah. let's put it at 60, 70,000 a year. Mm-hmm. It's a very expensive proposition. And so, um, I was actually able to be uh, interviewed and Duke was gracious enough to give me a full scholarship. Wow. So Duke, uh, really did partner with me on my legal education and, um, uh, 
It was kind of neat. I, I went and interviewed um, with some of the board members when they were giving out the scholarship, and uh, I was just absolutely convinced that, you know, here I was, a Bible college graduate, that my, the schools I'd graduated from had never gone to Duke, and, you know, the, the one professor doesn't believe in the Bible, doesn't believe right. in God. I mean, I just thought there was no way they were ever going to take a student like me. And a few weeks later, they said, uh, we're going to give you a fully paid scholarship. Wow. And so uh, God opened some neat doors there, and I've been able to take my legal education and, mm -hmm. and, to the best of my ability, give it back to him. So when did you finish law school? Uh, 93. Mm -hmm. uh, 93 was a big year for me. I, I graduated from law school and uh, took the bar exam and got married and got all that done. I guess it's been sort of a little, uh, uh, the bar exam was Tuesday, Wednesday. I uh, flew to California Thursday, had a dinner Friday, got married Saturday. So I figured I'd get all the major life stresses. at the ends bar stress test? Yeah, yeah. just you, see you, if we could handle it a little bit. We're well but, over 1,200 points on that yeah, stress and, test. And my wife, Karen, has indicated <laughs> I haven't slowed down since. And I, I'm not sure that's necessarily something to be proud of, but I, I guess moving fairly quickly. But um, 1993, and so that was the year I graduated from law school and uh, have been involved in cases involving uh, liberty across a wide spectrum of mm -hmm. issues since then. When you graduated or during law school, how did you envision using a law degree as a believer? Well, my vision in that was to help really churches and pastors and do it more as a ministry. I, I, I'll be quite honest, Michael. I mean, I, I'm an attorney. I'm a trial attorney. I don't mind. I, I think it's a skill and a craft, and I know many people do either business or things with it. But just the business side of law was a little unappealing to me. Mm -hmm. I, it wasn't because there's... You know, it requires personal service. I mean, you can make a lot of money, but you have to do the work. Whereas, you know, people that run a radio station or people that, you know, invent things, you know, they can, you know, let, you know, let the things kind of pop out without all that personal effort involved. And so from a business side, um, that was not the draw. But what drew me was this ability to help real people. Mm. And I probably have a little bit of a social worker side of me, like helping real people with real problems mm -hmm. is what motivated me to law. And, you know, obviously I want to serve the Lord. I want to hear well done. But the concept of somebody going, wow, thank you, or wow, that helps me, or wow, that burns off my shoulders, that's probably just from my vantage point what gives the practice of law some appeal. And it's probably similar with other professions, uh, doctors. You know, there's some that, you know, they, it's a good way to earn a living, and there's others that truly do enjoy that helping and ministering. And I guess I have that ministering spirit. I, I had a professor at law school and he warned me, South African guy, brilliant man. He said, David, I worry about you. He says, you just seem to care too much, you know, because, <laughs> you know, law school messes with your head. Um, they want to get you to think both ways, that there is no right or wrong. I mean, really, that's one of the philosophies almost in our legal system. I would go, you know, all right, Mr. Gibbs, you're going to prosecute the bad guy. Okay, great. I'm ready. All prepared, all ready to go. Got all my stuff ready to go. And then the other side, this individual is going to defend the guy. Well, and as you would sit down at your table and get ready to go, the professor would say, okay, role reversal. Mr. Gibbs, you now defend. I'd be like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm prepared to prosecute. Right, right. I'm No, no, you're now the defense attorney. The other side's going to prosecute and flip roles. And, and the concept that they try to instill within you, and, and as a believer, you have to battle against this, is that there is no ultimate right or mm -hmm. wrong. It's just purely argument and position and that the well, process is what's well, important. Well, let's go there a little bit because uh, Christians who have not been embroiled in legal issues, and a friend of mine who I always share my attorney jokes with and he he loves them but he hates them and he says michael one day you're going to need me <laughs> but but the tension for the average believer is not, not necessarily that lawyers are bad or evil but they have this view of not only 
First Corinthians 6 about not taking believers to court, but it's almost, a, there's this uh, insidious is too hard a word, but how can you be a Christian attorney? Well, because, because of the rule of law, as you've articulated. Well, there, there is a dynamic where, just from a regular lay person perspective, okay, not every attorney, but many attorneys make money off of people's problems. Okay, I mean, you just got arrested. You're getting dragged down to jail. You have a problem. Right. And now someone says, I'll help you for a price. Right. <laughs> or your spouse just walked in and said, I'm going to, you know, take the kids and I want a divorce. And now all of a sudden your marriage, your family, your world's falling apart. And some attorney says, well, I'll fight for you for a price. Uh-huh. Now, these people are upset anyway. I mean, life is not going their way. And it, it could be a whole, you know, an accident. You know, somebody's, you know, lost a loved one or they're injured. There, there's problems. Okay. And that's, you know, business disputes. I mean, the, the whole nature of law is adversarial as a general rule. I realize somebody right. will say, well, what about an estate plan? There, there's a few exceptions. Right, right. Adoption but, law. Yeah, yeah. There, there's some that have a little different dynamic. But as a general rule, the public perception is you're in trouble or you got hurt and you need an attorney. And I think there's a natural side of it where people begin to think, well, is somebody taking advantage of my problem? So there are some dynamics. But number two, I think attorneys have hurt themselves Mm. because instead of really focusing on problem solving, which is what I've tried to give my life to, a lot of attorneys will try to look at how do I maximize my economic gain from this person's problem. And, and that's a, you know, it, it's, it's funny to me, but you know, why do rich people have to spend, you know, 300,000 on their divorce and poor people spend 2,500? Yeah, yeah. Well, because the attorneys figured out, guess what? They're rich and they can afford mm-hmm. it and we can drag this out. And, and so it can, the reality is the process oftentimes is not that much more complicated, right. but it, it kind of falls into that vein where I think there are people that feel like, are, is the attorney really caring about me? Mm-hmm. Or is he taking advantage? Now, I've tried to be more the caring side, but most attorneys, it's a number or a file. Mm-hmm. Paul writes a passage I know you've taught on many times and, and, and grappled with, but just to bring us up to speed, is any one of you, when he has a case against his neighbor, dare to go to law before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? If the world is judged by you and you are not competent to constitute the smallest law courts, do you not know that we will judge angels? How much more matters of this life? So if you have law courts dealing with matters of this life, do you appoint them as judges who are of no account in the church? I say to you, it is your shame. Um, and he goes on to warn them not to, not to sue one another, not to defraud and, def- and so forth. But um, you know, I've taught that from the perspective we're talking about believers in the same local context, local assembly who can't reconcile that but obviously you've had to speak on this many times yeah and michael i think we have to remember it's not that there wasn't a dispute okay i mean and let's even take a divorce let's take a a defraudment let's suppose someone and this is an anonymous person they take advantage of me financially okay i've been defrauded Mm -hmm. i have a case i can go assert my claim Mm -hmm. but the concept there is not whether you really defraud or not, whether you really have a case, the concept is the cause of Christ, the name of Christ, the testimony of Christ is worthy of not letting your disputes be known in the public square. And it's not that David isn't entitled to the money. 
the concept is the world, which is already going to be anti-Jesus by nature, because that's how anything the, Christians do is is fodder. And if we cannot maintain our testimony, now I believe that we should be able to have some degree of resolution process that might be private or Christian. So, if, for example, someone in your church defrauded me, and if I were to go to you and say, Pastor, would you help me at least sit down with this individual? Let's try to. But if that person turns completely cold, completely adversarial, I think you then have to make the decision, am I going to honor the scripture or am I going to act in my own Mm -hmm. interest? And I believe that it's a high honor. I hate, personally would have to hate to go through it. I hate to see people go through Mm -hmm. it, but better to suffer the loss than to injure the name of Christ. Mm -hmm. Now, this is easy to talk about on a radio broadcast or just, you know, esoterically. Across the table. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking real testimony real decisions and and even in the marriage context and and again i certainly don't want somebody to be hurt or abused or in any situation that you know is putting them in jeopardy but i think a lot of times um you know there could be more marriages saved if people had the context that you know wait a minute god does not want me here this Mm -hmm, is not mm -hmm. appropriate this is hurting the testimony even for the cause of my kids for my church for my who i am as a believer that i do think um, we've lost the concept of testimony or mm. honor. I mean, I, I again, I'm, I'm probably preaching here a little bit, but the reality is our society has become kind of self-absorbed. It's all about me. It's my no money. Doubt. It's what I want. It's, and, and what the verse there is teaching is, wait a minute, you carry another name. You're, you're not just David Gibbs. Mm-hmm. You're a Christian. That's the name of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, his name is on you. And maybe the simple way to say it is, remember what you do reflects on him too. We've had situations, David, in the almost 30 years I've been in ministry, quote unquote, where it's so complicated for the elders and those who might even be uh, a mediator kind of role in leadership, whatever the church's government might be, that you need a professional legal counsel who knows the law because you listen to two people in a dispute with a group of elders and Sometimes these things are very complex, and it's not neglecting the shepherding role. It's we need an expert. I often tell people, you need a, a surgeon. Uh, you don't need a general practitioner. If you have a particular cancer, you need that specialist to help you. And so for, for us, it's, been a, it, it's still challenging for the average congregant yep. and the average church to comprehend, well, isn't this wrong to begin with? And, of course, as my friend said, until you're the one in trouble. Well, and— <laughs> Let me add one more thing, Michael, that complicates it. It's this thing called insurance. Uh, now, all of a sudden, you've got, you know, somebody drove over your leg with their vehicle, and you should be properly compensated for your injury. Not mm-hmm. that you're trying to, but to be, go to the doctor, get your insurance won't cover it because this guy drove over your leg, right. and his insurance company says, we're not going to do anything until you sue us. Or, so it does add some complexity to the whole dynamic. And so I look at it in terms of, you know, the testimony of Christ is when you're going after another believer directly, but remembering the cause of Christ is paramount. And, and I think with the verses you read, there's no question, better you suffer the loss than you drag the name mm. of Christ down. Now, one thing we have at our ministry at the National Center for Life and Liberty or the NCLL is people want to sue their church. I mean, they, they want to. And, and you have to stop right there and you say, can we One find, world, yeah, right. can we find a more <laughs> injurious <laughs> bad, I mean, you know, I'm upset with, pretty how, egregious, yeah, yeah, I'm uh-huh. upset with how the pastor's doing this, or I'm upset with what the board's done here. I'm upset. 
And and please understand, I, I think churches should treat people well. I think you should follow your documents. I think it should be done as a matter of testimony, decently in order. But something goes haywire at church. That doesn't give you the right to now turn around and become litigious. And that is really this, you know, almost if I don't fight for me, mm. nobody else will. And and I think the scripture talks about dying to self. Mm-hmm. And and really, you know, by this shall men know that you're my disciples by how you love. I mean, so, mm. you know, what are you willing to, and it really the ultimate act of love is forgiveness. I mean, if you think about it, we're filthy sinners and God in his grace said, I will love and I will forgive. We have nothing to give them. Right. Okay. And, and that's that grace. And I think sometimes we, um, you know, in our world become quite the little legalist. Okay. We're going to sure. hold the law and the law is you must pay and you've done wrong. Sometimes the greatest testimony is saying, you know what? I forgive. Yeah. You did steal money. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, you know, you, you think about the prodigal. I mean, what did he do? He defrauded his family or maybe he didn't defraud him, but he certainly squandered his right. inheritance. And, but, but, you know, the father said, I forgive. And, and kind of interesting that older brother the older brother's concept was a little bit like, hey, more, hey, more, more at error in some way. Yeah, I've yeah. been the good guy. I, I've done, you know, and, and why, why are we celebrating? And you know what? It's that concept of grace and love and forgiveness. And, mm-hmm. and again, I, I, people will bristle sometimes because they're like, well, you know, if you give grace, you'll be taken advantage Always, of. Yeah. And you know what? Sometimes that's what real Christianity is all about. It's that vulnerability where you say, you know what? I'm willing to let somebody walk on me. I, I help people for free. I've been lied to have been taken advantage of i've had people do things and you too and your ministry is a a pastor and a leader and you know that's part of being willing to say yes you're free to hurt me you're free to take advantage of me um i've got to be a steward of my life and energy but the reality is i'm willing to let that happen and that really then does model what christ did for us let's uh switch gears a little bit and talk about terry shivo so david uh what brought on the terry shivo health issues Terry Schiavo had a collapse, a, a temporary deprivation of blood and oxygen to her, to her brain at age 26. And, and nobody quite knows what caused that. But what happened is uh, she was rushed to the hospital. She was put on life support. They thought she was going to die. Her parents were there with her. She was on a ventilator. She was on a heart machine. They did extraordinary measures to preserve her. Um, they removed the ventilator. They removed the heart machine and waited for her to die. She didn't die. Okay. She was alive. Her heart worked, her lungs worked, her body worked, and they worked diligently. And and you see this in brain injured people that, um, you can see a lot of recovery in the early stages and then it slows down. Right. I didn't know her at this point, but Terry was, um, walking with the help of parallel bars. Um, she was speaking small words, sentences, other things. Again, this is from her family. So she was a disabled woman and she was married And what ends up happening is her husband at a point makes the decision that he doesn't want her to live anymore. And her case really was kind of the perfect storm because she's alive and she's not sick. Okay. Her Mm -hmm. life expectancy would have been 70 some years. I mean, she, and she only needs food and water to stay alive. So she's not on a ventilator. She's not on a heart machine. I mean, she just needs eating assistance and you could feed her, but it was slow, you Mm -hmm. you know, by mouth, it would take a long time. And so what came up before the courts, and it's really a case of first impression in this respect, is can you take away food and water from someone who's alive and not dying? There's no disease in her body. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, kind of interesting because euthanasia, the deliberate killing of an individual is against the law. But can you just remove the food and water? Well, what happens? They starve and dehydrate. And in Terry's case, 
um, she went 13 days without food and water and ultimately died from dehydration and starvation. And the case is still remembered, Michael, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, it's the first civil, non-criminal death order in American history. We'd wow. never ordered someone to die that was not a criminal. It's always been capital cases, killers. Um, number two, it's the only case in history to go to the Supreme Court and back twice in 10 days. It really had a lot of urgency. And and for those that do, you know, I lived through it. You yeah, remember, remember it. it well. You know, the, the president got involved, the Congress got involved. There was a lot of, um, you know, political interplay between the, the governor. The governor of the state of Florida and the president were brothers at the time, the Bush family. Mm-hmm. And so there was a lot. World leaders were weighing in. The, the pope from Rome is, you know, setting example and so issuing policy, trying to save Terry Schiavo. So it had a lot of international intrigue and it really uh, many people called it the number one news story in the world back in 2005 and um, Terry Schiavo died on March 31st 2005 after going 13 days without food and water and it's it it was a bizarre issue because it wasn't just people often think of the religious right or the pro-life community and it clearly um, troubled them but it was also very heavily supported by the disability community uh, for example, it went through the Senate at that time of the United States unanimously. Wow. And uh, for example, um, our current president, Barack Obama, um, voted in favor of it. Mm-hmm. Hillary Clinton voted in favor of it. Now deceased Ed Kennedy, the architect of health care, um, um, voted for it. So we need to remember this was not just a, a right-wing right issue. Life, this was a disability life. It really did capture across the political spectrum because there was tremendous concern that as a nation you know what protections are in place for the disabled i mean when when is it okay for either a family member or a doctor or somebody else to come in and make these life-ending decisions and as an observer uh, david one of the things that concerned me was you had her parents who were two willing health care home care providers willing to do it it wasn't as though she was being abandoned to some institution or institutionalized for a lower quality of care she had her folks willing Willing to to take care of her and and yet in this case the husband refused to cooperate now and and we're not here to bash him but i mean he had moved on with his life he was living with a woman he had a couple kids with her i mean he was kind of done with her okay he he did not want to deal with it and the easiest thing in the world for him would have been to walk away or say here let the parents take care of her and by the way that was what the parents i i offered that we we battled for that and um i still you know sad michael i mean i remember being in there when terry's dying with her mom and, and you look at the the sadness of all of that i watched bob schindler die after all this he he died of a broken heart i mean there's no way his health just collapsed and 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 these dear people going through this loss where they just wanted to take care of their girl. And, and again, we really are in our culture right now, kind of seeing this interplay, government, healthcare, individual decision-making. Mm-hmm. And one of the questions that is just simply put is, who gets to decide? Right. I mean, you know, you're in the hospital, okay, and you have an issue. Was that your wife's decision? Is that your children's decision? Is it the doctor's decision? Or is it the government worker insurance company mm-hmm. decision i mean who mm-hmm. who gets to make these decisions and we're in a society right now where i think we're losing what was something that was tremendously important to our founding fathers which is if you don't protect innocent life you really don't have any other liberty i mean they came from king in england right. who could say off with your head and guess and what that it. meant it was done monarch 
And that's why their battle cry wasn't liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Their battle cry was <laughs> life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Without the protection of innocent life, you really have no other liberty. We're talking today with Attorney David Gibbs, who's president of... The National Center for Life and Liberty. Now, <laughs> now Michael, somebody goes, that's a long name. Let me help you out. NCAA. Now, oh, the college sports world. See, I'm a Duke grad. Okay. NCAA, they get it. There we have NCAA, it. life and liberty. If they go to NCAA.org... They can um, get our newsletter. They can get resources. We help churches, Christians, and, and we fight in these cases. Now, I would encourage folks to pray. I would encourage folks to support their pastor, to be bold, to speak up. Yep. Um, we are there to help stand up with you, and uh, we're certainly honored to stand and, and appreciate your voice and leadership. You've been not just a dear friend, but you've been a, a hero to me in the sense of that you have, with a great spirit, proclaimed the truth of God's Word, and, and I really admire the great work you do. Well, it's a privilege to have you, or you can come to the In Context website. Thanks again for listening. Join us on the website, and we'll see you on the next broadcast. If you have questions or comments, please let us know at michaelincontext.com. Follow Michael on Twitter at Dr. Easley. Thank you for listening to Michael Easley in Context.